Thank you, Jesus. Let's give a round of applause to the name of Jesus right now. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. We praise your name, God. Lord, we lift up and exalt the name that's above every other name, Lord God. Jesus, your name is exalted, Lord. And we worship you, Lord, for you are God. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name, Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There were our classes this morning. Uh, kids, men, youth class, you may be uh, dismissed at this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to get on to the word of the Lord here. Brother Hyle mentioned the ladies thing this uh, Thursday. Family camp is this week. My wife and I will will be up there if you are able to get up there. It's, it's going to be uh, jam-packed uh, as far as the lineup, and, and you're going to be fed and nourished on the Word. Brother Raymond Woodward is uh, the Bible teacher in the daytime, and in the evening, Brother Jerry Jones. It's going to be a great blessing, a feast on the Word of the Lord uh, this week, and I'm looking forward to that. In Jesus' name. And then we'll be driving back on Saturday. And unfortunately, Sister Sue, we will not be making it for the ladies' thing. So we got a little uh, family engagement for a one-year birthday for somebody. Uh, and uh, so going to be having a lot of family at the back household on uh, this, this, this Saturday here. In Jesus' name. We will be turning in the word of the Lord to chapter number 12 in the, the book of Revelation. I was thinking about it earlier today, and this is my home church, but I remember hearing somebody say, it's very rare that you'll have a guest preacher stand behind a pulpit in another man's church and say, let's turn in the word of the Lord to the book of Revelation <laughs> for, for various reasons, but uh, we're going to go there. And one simple verse, I have nothing groundbreaking for you today, I have nothing earth shattering for you today, but I've got the word of God for you today. I, I, the Lord had been laying this on my heart uh, in the last few weeks. I received confirmation last Sunday while pastor uh, was preaching about not giving a foothold uh, unto the devil. Amen. And keeping him uh, under your feet in Jesus' name. And by the way, uh, I think Brother Howell mentioned we need to lift him up in prayer. He is uh, overseas. Not sure if he is ministering uh, today in, in Hungary. Not today said uh, Sister Sibolci, but uh, he will be ministering the word of the Lord in the nation of Hungary uh, this week. Revelation chapter number 12, if you are there, say amen. amen. If you've got your Bibles, we'll be, we'll be looking at some additional scripture today, so, so, so have your, your Bibles handy. And one verse of scripture, and that is uh, verse number 11. So if you were at chapter 1, you would have right now heard in my Bible, my page going because verse number 11 is on the next page. And it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and loved not their lives unto the death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their, their testimony. Now the him who they overcame that it's talking about specifically is the devil, 
uh, that it's talking about, but really this applies uh, to, it applies throughout Scripture and to more uh, than just the devil. It applies to, to, to obstacles. Uh, it applies to, to difficult uh, problems, struggles, and situations uh, that we may face as Christians, as children under blood covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ today. And we uh, need to be an overcoming people. And I'm going to preach for a little while this morning on the anatomy of deliverance. The anatomy of deliverance. Lord, I pray your, your blessing on the word of the Lord today, God, your anointing upon me. Lord, help me just to say the things that you would have me to say uh, this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister by the Holy Ghost, Lord, to every person in here, that you would minister to saints, that you would minister by the Holy Ghost to visitors uh, in this house alike, that they would know, Lord, that it's your spirit that's ministering to them and not any man, not any flesh and blood standing before them. We pray all this this morning in the name of Jesus. Somebody said, in Jesus' name. And you may be seated. As I am not prone to do, I'm whipping out the old uh, cell phone here. As there's been a few articles that have, and headlines that have come to my attention within the last month. And one of these was from uh, June the 10th. And it's on a website called slaynews.com. And the title of this article is this, WEF, World Economic Forum. Uh, that's a group of powerful people, some of the most powerful people in the world, all of them globalists. It says, WEF calls for AI, artificial intelligence, to rewrite Bible and create, quote, religions that are actually correct. Isn't that something? You've all heard a little bit in the news here in the, in the last few months about something called ChatGPT, or there, there's a lot of tech companies. IBM has not been, been involved in, in uh, artificial intelligence and, and the development of that for, for some period of years. And they go on to say a lot of things uh, within this, within this uh, uh, article. And they, they believe that they are, are coming upon new things. They, it says in here a quote, It is the first technology ever that can create new ideas. What are these new ideas that they're wanting to, to come to in the Bible? Well, let me read you one other, one other headline here, and this is from uh, July 4th, this past Tuesday. Left-wing group PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, quote-unquote, PETA is using artificial intelligence, chat GPT, to rewrite the Bible, aims to eliminate animal cruelty and teach veganism to younger generations. This is, this is, uh, this is not a novel thing, and although, and although in the, the previous article they said, well, we're going to come up with new ideas and, and, and a religion that's correct, and, and they, they seek to, to eliminate uh, violence, uh, violence to animals and so forth. And they say, well, this is the first thing that's been ever able to uh, come up with new ideas. Well, there is no new idea under the, under the sun. This is nothing new since, since the days of Babel. They were trying to come up with uh, humanistic uh, religions and, and faith systems. And uh, as a matter of fact, there was another article from about a month ago, and there's a school district in Utah, the state of Utah, big Mormon state, and they banned the King James Version of the Bible in eight of their schools, citing vulgarity and violence and a lack of age appropriateness. 
there's some big problems when people try to, to rewrite uh, Scripture. In fact, uh, John wrote some, some rather important uh, warnings uh, to, to us about that. If we, if, we take any, if we add to or take anything uh, from the Word of God, the Word of God stands. It has stood the test of time, and it will continue to stand. Uh, kings and kingdoms shall all pass away, uh, but the word of the Lord will never uh, pass away, we read in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5. And the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's some of the violence that they're talking about uh, right there. When we're talking about blood, well, we need blood. We need blood from the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's critical to the salvation process at this time. It was critical uh, to the salvation process outlined by God and within His mind uh, from the very beginnings uh, within uh, the book of Genesis. And when we're talking about uh, overcoming, uh, uh, as Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 is talking about, it, it's talking about succeeding in dealing with some uh, problem, uh, some, some difficult situation or some hard struggle. And it says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And we can see reading that, that there are two parts to that. It's anatomy, but it's quite simple. I recall when, uh, back when I was in school now, quite a few years ago, and I was in gross anatomy class. And it was amazing when we had human cadavers and we had to dissect them. And you open up this human a cadaver, you tear open the skin and you see how intricately woven all the nerves and blood vessels and muscles uh, and tendons and everything is. It's absolutely incredible. It is astounding uh, when, when you look at the creation of man in, in such a finite uh, mass that is before you. But we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. There's just two aspects uh, to this that, that, that we're talking about. And Brother Heil, if you could uh, do me a favor here, and I'm going to have you sit in this chair. Wait a minute. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'll have you sit in that chair, and I'm going to have you face that direction, dear brother. So the first part of this, and something integral to our salvation, is the blood of the Lamb. This was a component uh, of the salvation process throughout Scripture. We have a more perfect sacrifice uh, under the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, we also uh, see, see the use of blood and animal sacrifice from the very beginnings, from the fall of man at the time of, of Adam. And they decided, well, we're going we're gonna to have to cover ourselves because they all of a sudden recognized their nakedness and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And God said, no, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, and what did the Lord do? He killed some animals. Blood was shed so that he could cover them uh, with skins and they could have covering and it would be done uh, God's way. And we see this, this, this crimson thread of blood sacrifice uh, throughout Scripture from the earliest parts of Genesis uh, throughout the salvation experience over the new covenant uh, and, and in the, the days of the, the book of Revelation, just, just a short while later, we see that, that uh, uh, Cain sought to bring vegetables, uh, vegan teaching perhaps. Maybe he wanted to rewrite scripture uh, at that time, rewrite the word of God at least, and, and uh, rewrite uh, truth 
and change it from something that was true to something uh, that was false. Uh, but those, but that was an unacceptable sacrifice to God because there was no blood uh, that was involved. But Abel, on the other hand, gave a sacrifice that was uh, acceptable to the Lord. We move on uh, through the, the, the Old Testament, the, the, the book of Genesis, and we see that uh, the, we have the uh, plagues of Pharaoh uh, take place, excuse me, getting into the book of uh, uh, Exodus now. And in the plagues of Pharaoh, we see after these plagues, the very last thing, we see the institution uh, of Passover. And it was commanded uh, because uh, God was going to, there was going to be a death angel that was going to sweep over the land, and the firstborn of all the people in Egypt were going to be slain unless they had the blood covering. Unless they had the covering of a, of a, of a sacrificial uh, lamb or goat and that blood applied to the doorposts uh, of their house. If that blood was applied to the doorposts of their house, then when the death angel passed over those homes, if he saw that blood, then that house was spared. Uh, the children, the young, in, in the firstborn in, in those homes were spared because they had blood covering. Uh, they were under a covenant from the Lord. And then we see, uh, uh, we get on ju- just a short time later. Uh, in fact, it was uh, merely 50 days later. This was institution uh, of Passover. It was 50 days later that the Spirit of God uh, came down on Mount Sinai. That's why they had the Feast of Pentecost uh, even uh, in the Old Testament. And God at this time laid out to Moses the tabernacle plan. And with this tabernacle plan, you could not enter into the holy place in order to worship the Lord unless there was blood sacrifice. There was a brazen altar that had to be approached. You did not approach this brazen altar and the brazen labor. You were not going any further uh, uh, to worship the Lord. And we continue on until we get onto the New Testament. And the Messiah uh, comes onto the scene because God robed Himself in flesh. He robed Himself in uh, in flesh, it was the Spirit of Almighty God that overshadowed Mary. We're told in Matthew uh, chapter one and eighteen, it was not any any man, but the Spirit of God. And so, this man, uh, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, really was a second Adam. We had another opportunity uh, to make a choice between following the Spirit of Almighty God, the omnipresent Spirit of God, or uh, turning unto uh, sin. And Jesus lived a sinless and spotless life. This was a more perfect sacrifice than they ever had uh, under the old covenant. Jesus was tempted, we're told in Hebrews. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted in all ways, just like you and I are. And yet without sin. And in 1 Peter, uh, we're told that that, uh, he was a lamb without spot uh, and Without blemish, the, ple- the precious blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1 and 19, as of a lamb without spot and uh, without blemish. And now under this new covenant, uh, we are able to, to apply this blood uh, to our lives. We are able to identify with the death, the burial, and importantly, the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. So this blood can be applied uh, to our lives. This is why I had Brother Heil face this direction. I'm going to have you reach this way with your right arm. Because it's by the right hand. I don't want to make you tired. Uh, this is, this is uh, God, if you will, reaching, reaching us by, to us by the blood of the Lamb. 
We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. This is the first part of this anatomy. Now, if God was reaching over a chair, I don't know if he had an ulnar nerve and could strike a funny bone or his arm could fall asleep. So just be careful and maybe relax just a little bit there because you're going to be that way for, for at least an hour and a half until I'm finished. But. <laughs> but we have the blood of the Lamb that's being extended to us because of what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary. And the resurrection was very important because if he just died and stayed dead without being resurrection, then when I get baptized, I'm just taking a bath. There's not a lot, I'm going swimming. There's not a lot of, of importance to that. Uh, when I uh, uh, get filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm, I'm just feeling some goosebumps. And that's about it if Jesus was not resurrected. But he was resurrected from the dead. And this spotless blood was shed for you and for me. And the Bible says he purchased the church with his own blood. The Bible says. And so on the opposite end of this, we have a choice to make. I thought about using somebody here, but maybe I'll just sit here myself. Yeah. And I've got some decisions to make here. Because this extended hand is a given. Jesus died for me at Calvary. This salvation is for whosoever will. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, but also by, the Bible says, uh, uh, the word of our testimony. As we'll see, the word of our testimony refers to what I'm doing right now. I can sit here like this until I breathe my last breath and not take uh, the hand of the Lord. I can indeed see that He is extending a hand to me. I can reject it. Or I can accept the hand of the Lord, take that, and I need to hold on to that and continue holding on to that until I breathe my last breath so that I make it to heaven, so that I make it when Jesus comes in the last day. But at the same time, until I have breathed my last breath, I better not let go of that either. And my actions are declaring the word of my testimony. Because 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 uh, tells us about this. And I'm gonna, I save that in my Bible here. The first three verses of 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And the word of the Lord tells us, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Now I'm going to stop right there when I say the word of our testimony. Now I don't mean to say, when I say, talk, I'm talking about our actions, I don't mean to say that what we say is not important. Obviously it is important. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I, as I was thinking about that and the word of our testimony, I was thinking about, and so many of you in here know, Pastor Clarence Jackson. And prior to COVID and prior to some uh, serious knee problems that he was having, and we were still having Sunday night service, uh, he was here almost every Sunday night. He was here with regularity on Sunday nights, and Pastor would invite him uh, to testify. He'd say, Pastor Clarence Jackson, pastor in East St. Louis is here. Would you come and greet the congregation? And he would get up, and week after week after week, he would testify about what the Lord uh, has done from him, how, God, how, how he had previously lived a life of violence, how he had previously uh, been addicted to and dealing a crack cocaine, but God delivered him uh, from that. And that's what he would say when he was, was testifying. Now, when I would talk to him uh, just one-on-one, -on -one, uh, and, and I've done that, and boy, an interesting man to talk to, to listen to his testimony, there was a little more to it than that. 
uh, he had to do some things. He had to make up some things uh, within his mind that, okay, I, I've got to make a change in my life. I see this, this problem, this addiction uh, that I have with cocaine, and it's affecting things in my life. It's affecting how I earn a living. It's affecting my relationship uh, with my wife. It's affecting my relationship uh, uh, with my children. And he made some decisions. He had some resolve within his heart and his mind uh, that this is uh, what I'm going to do. I am going to uh, make some changes. I am going to take some steps. Amen. And, but, but when he was baptized in Jesus' name, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, there was some power from the Lord uh, that was added unto that. But whenever he testified about it, he didn't get up here and say, I made a conscious decision uh, to make some changes. I did some things. Me, me, me. This is what I did. No, no, no. He said, look what the Lord has done. He said, Jesus Christ delivered me from sin and from the bondage of sin in living in Egypt. It was Jesus who did this. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me uh, just in time. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, do we begin again to commend ourselves? No, no, no. Yeah, maybe, maybe there was some part in it, but if I'm testifying, look what the Lord has done. Amen. Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you, Verse number two, ye are our epistle, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Verse three, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. I'll stop right there. Ye are the, ye are declared to be the epistle of Christ. Ye are, we are living epistles. We are living testimonies. What does that mean? That means my actions are testifying some things about me. The way that I conduct myself testifies what really is uh, deep within uh, my heart. There's a testimony that's taking place based upon what I'm doing. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What am I doing? What am I doing? How am I responding to the promptings of the Lord? How am I ex uh, responding to the extended hand uh, uh, of the Lord to me? And we see uh, in the Scripture that there are uh, a variety of different ways uh, that, 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 that we respond to what the Lord uh, extends unto us and to different characters in the Bible. But again, it's important that our testimony, even my my actions declare, uh, uh, look what the Lord has done. To God be the glory for the things uh, uh, that He has done. And I want to look at a few, a few examples uh, in Scripture. Just relax your arm there, brother, if you might. It might be a little while. I'll, I'll get back to you there. Are you okay? Okay. If we consider Moses, as he was uh, leading... The children of Israel to the Red Sea. In, in chapter number 14 and verse number 2, uh, the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Piahiroth between Migdal and the sea over against Baal Zephon. Bef before it shall ye encamp by the sea. This is the word of the Lord. He's speaking to Moses, he's telling them what to tell. Uh, uh, the children of Israel, and he's giving them some instructions that don't make a whole lot of sense here. 
He's telling them to encamp by the sea, and they're going to have the armies of Pharaoh behind them. They're going to have uh, armies surrounding them behind to either side. There's going to be some geographic barriers, and in front of them, all there is is, is this Red Sea. How in the world are they uh, going to escape? But they obeyed. What was their testimony? What was the word of their testimony? It was obedience to the word of the Lord and submission to the man of God. That was their extended hand to the Lord. Obedience to the word of God and submission uh, unto the man of God, even though this did not make uh, a whole lot of sense. And uh, perhaps they saw the Red Sea and thought, okay, maybe there's going to be some big boat and we can get on that. There was no boat. And they began to, to murmur in verse 12, is, is not this the word of the Lord that did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians, which is a type of sin. It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses in verse 13 said unto the people, fear ye not and stand still. Be steadfast. Further instruction. Be steadfast right now. That's the word of your testimony. And see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. Ye, the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever, the word of the Lord said. And then we see that Moses, obeying the commandment of the Lord, stood up, and on his part, he was acting in faith. Word of his testimony. Extended this rod over the Red Sea. The seas parted uh, by, by an east wind that blew throughout the night to such an extent that the ground dried Beneath there, there wasn't even mud that they would get stuck on. And the children of Israel passed over onto dry ground. They followed. Then the armies of Pharaoh uh, followed after them. And we see uh, that Moses again stretched his, his rod over the sea, and the, the seas came crashing down uh, upon them. And the armies of Pharaoh perished. They were delivered from a seemingly impossible situation. Uh, not, not too much further uh, in, in the book of Joshua, the, the, the heir apparent leader, uh, as it were, for the children of Israel, uh, to Moses was this man, uh, Joshua. And they were to go in and, to, and they were to uh, inhabit the, the land of promise, the land of their inheritance uh, that was promised to them. But when they were to go into that land, they were to be, uh, they were going to have to drive out some inhabitants there. And they were not doing so unjustly. These were some people that were going to be receiving justice uh, from the Lord when they were slain. But there were two and a half tribes. There was the tribe of Reuben, of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh that stayed uh, with, that kept their inheritance because of their cattle on the east side of Jordan and did not pass over at least their, their, their children and their livestock until after they'd conquered the land. Then they went back and inhabited this land. But the inhabitants of that land in, in Gibeon they knew what the Lord had done to the armies of Pharaoh, and they said, we don't want to perish like these people. And they secretly, and they, they did it deceptively, but they made a covenant with the children of Israel, a peace covenant, that they would not harm them. They said, we'll agree to be your servants, just don't, just don't kill us, uh, protect us. And then all of a sudden we see in chapter 10 of the book of Joshua, these five kings uh, that decide to make a pact and a lie together, and they wanted to come against uh, these, these servants because they had made a deal with Israel and they despised uh, Israel. They, they despised the children of the one true God. They were not serving the gods uh, of their own creation, but they were serving the one uh, true God and they were so upset they conspired together, these five kings, and they were going to go slay 
uh, these people in, in Gibeon. And we see in, in chapter 10, verse number 6, that the men of, of Gibeon sent unto Joshua, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come help us. Send us some helps with, with the armies of Israel. And Joshua responded in kind. The Bible says in verse 7 that he ascended from Gilgal. I'm in Joshua chapter 10. He ascended from Gilgal, and he came upon these five kings. And the Bible said in verse 10, The Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them to Ezekah and unto Makeda. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven. Great stones from heaven upon them unto Ezekiah, and they died. And they were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel uh, uh, slew uh, with the sword. And we see as we go on to verse number 15 that Joshua returned in all Israel to the camp to Gilgal, but these five kings, not everybody was killed there. There are a lot of people, more people than who they slew were killed with these great hailstones sent by the Lord, but those five kings escaped. And we see that they... In, uh, in verse number 16, they hid themselves in a cave. Joshua saw that, said, okay, men, roll some big uh, boulders in front of that cave. Why on earth is he telling them to roll these, these huge rocks in front of that cave? We want to slay these men. These are the ones uh, that, that were in the first place conspiring against uh, the armies of the Lord, the children of Israel. And there's a reason, and it was not God's timing yet. That is the reason. And how were the children of Israel at this time extending the hand? With patience, with trusting in the Lord, with trusting in the timing of the Lord. And Joshua commanded them further in Joshua chapter 10 to go on and continue to pursue their enemies and slay them. And after that, you'll, you'll come back. In verse 21, finally they returned after they had slain all these other soldiers. They returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda. In peace. And then said Joshua in verse 22, Open the mouth of the cave now. Now it's time. Now it's my timing. And bring forth uh, those five kings unto me in the cave. In verse 24, it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with him, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. They weren't dead yet. Put your feet upon the necks of these kings. I want to make a point to you, children. They came near, and they put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus saith the Lord, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. Every one of your enemies, if you uh, follow my plan, you're in blood covenant with me, uh, children, and by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, if you will obey me, if you will be submitted to my voice, if you will be patient and wait for my timing, this is what's going to happen to every enemy, every difficult uh, opposition that stands before you that needs to be slain. They will be slain, every one of them. Trust me, uh, the Lord is saying. Uh, we see you can go through many other names in, the, in Gideon. You can go through David. David's an interesting case in the Old Testament because he, he did both things. Uh, he worshipped the Lord. Uh, he, he gave glory to God. The word of his testimony came through worship and through song and, and music. And then he saw Bathsheba bathing 
well, I mean, just let go so I can see this a little more. Give me my glasses, will you? I don't even know if they had glasses at that time. Maybe they had binoculars, you know. He committed adultery, and not only that, he became a murderer as he had Uriah the Hittite killed. The blood of the Lamb is applied to our lives throughout the salvation process. First uh, John chapter 5 and verse number 8, if you have that, Sister Ruth says, says that, that, that in earth these things uh, agree in one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree uh, in one. What is this talking about? Well, when you are born again of the water and the Spirit, it is one new birth. You get, it's, a, it's a separate and distinct experience when you're baptized in Jesus' name versus when you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Just because I was baptized in Jesus' name, that was not the same as the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But the combination of those two are one new birth. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism when I'm born again of the water and, and of the Spirit. And what that verse is, is talking about is that during the entirety of that uh, one experience of a new birth, the blood of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world is applied to our lives. When precisely is that blood applied? Is it when I repent? Yes. Yes. Is it when I'm baptized in Jesus' name? Yes. Is it when I'm filled with the Holy Ghost? Yes. The blood is applied throughout the salvation process from the time that you hear the word of the Lord or you see the word of the Lord and you're open and you're receiving it in your heart, you're feeling conviction. The blood of the Lamb is beginning to be applied uh, uh, to your life. And when you're born again of the water and the Spirit, this blood is, is being applied uh, to your life. But that blood must continue to be applied uh, to my life by how I live the rest of my life. I don't receive this initial experience of a new birth and then stop right there. I haven't just crossed a finish line. I've just entered the kingdom. When I, have, when I have been born again of the water and the Spirit, and I've got to continue following after the Lord, uh, reading uh, His Word, learning of Him, drawing closer uh, to Him in relationship. And as I'm doing that, the blood of the Lamb is continually being applied uh, to my life. But if I get to a point, uh, as David did when he turned uh, to sin uh, with Bathsheba, when he turned uh, to sin uh, by having Uriah the Hittite uh, killed, that application of the blood to my life is being removed. And that's a dangerous position uh, to be in. But thank God that the Lord doesn't just stop there. Because we are human beings. Uh, we are fallible. We make some mistakes. David certainly did. I'm so glad the word of the Lord uh, uh, doesn't glaze over uh, the moles and the warts. We hear the good and the bad uh, of characters in the Bible. And we see finally that God, uh, that, that David came back uh, to a place of repentance and again grabbed hold of the hand of the Lord and held on to it for the rest of his life to the point that God said that he was a man uh, after his own heart. And I want to bring out just a few other examples in the New Testament in the book of Acts. If we were to look in uh, uh, Acts chapter 3, and the man that was the lame man, the first ten verses that was, was healed, at the, he was at the, the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And in verse 2, excuse me, verse 3, it says, Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. He had something in his mind. It says, Bible says he asked an alms. And verse 4 says, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. 
We have a command here. And verse 5, he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive uh, something of him. Here's another form of testimony. What is, what is the word of my testimony? The word of this man's testimony right now was expectation to receive something. Where are you, Lord? Oh, there you are. I'm sitting here going. <laughs> expectation to receive was the word of his testimony. Then Peter uh, said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this man further gave the word of his testimony uh, because uh, the Bible says that he was walking and leaping and praising God uh, after what the Lord had done uh, in his life. And, and it goes on, and people are looking at Peter and John. Well, look what these men did. And Peter and John said, no, no, why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power? Our own holiness, we'd man this, we made this man to walk. Now, they did something. They were sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord, uh, uh, and they were bold. That takes some boldness. You see, a man uh, that was lame, and the Bible said lame from his mother's womb, never walked uh, a day in his life. That takes some boldness to stand in front of a mass of people and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, rise up and walk. But they didn't say, hey, hey, look at our boldness. Look at me, man. The Lord just used me in a mighty way. I'm really something here. No, no. They said, look what the Lord has done. To God be the glory for the things that he has done. That was uh, the word of their testimony. And just a couple of more examples if I consider the, the concert, conversion of, of Saul of Tarsus in, in chapter number 9. And we see that Saul of Tarsus was a man who was sincere in his beliefs. Uh, but he was persecuting uh, the Christians. Uh, he was a pharisaical Jew. He was a man who knew uh, the law and the Old Covenant better than most of the people in the entire world uh, at that time and to, to this day as well, uh, I would say. And he sought letters from Damascus that he might uh, journey uh, to Damascus to further bind and persecute Christians. But while he was on that road to Damascus, he heard a voice saying to him, he saw a light from heaven, and the Bible says he fell to the earth. And a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? Or by correct interpretation, who art thou, Jehovah? The Jehovah of the Old Testament. And he responded to him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, boy, you'd think to yourself, well, this is enough to, 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 to change anybody. This would be enough to, to convert anybody. Well, what about the... What about the men in Sodom and Gomorrah at the time of Lot? And the angels struck them with blindness. They didn't go, who are you, Lord? What shall we do? No, no. They were so, they were so overcome in, the, in, the, in their sin, the sin of homosexuality. And, and it, it so engrossed them, even in their state of blindness, they were still, still seeking for ways to, to gratify the lust of the flesh that they had so, so deeply entrenched within them. Well, that's not how... That's not how Saul responded. When he said, I'm Jesus, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's, the Bible says in verse 6, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was open to the Lord. He recognized this indeed was all Almighty God. This was the God of the Old Testament who just told him, my name is Jesus. And he understood this and he began to have a lot of revelation uh, of Old Testament Scripture uh, come to him now that this new covenant uh, was in place. And we see further down that he was uh, three days without sight, <clears throat> neither did eat nor drink. 
And in verse 10, we see that the Lord spoke unto a disciple, someone who already was a part of the church, named Ananias. And the Lord said, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now, it's not just Saul in this story. We have Ananias in this story uh, as well. He had to be sensitive uh, unto the voice of the Lord. Uh, he, knew, he knew who this Saul of Tarsus was. He'd heard about this man, how he had persecuted and killed Christians, and there was a, there was a little bit of fear in him. But God revealed to him that God had sent a vision to this man, and he says, Ananias, I need to use you. I'm extending a hand to you. I need to use you, and it will be in spiritual gifts. He was going to use Ananias by the word of knowledge and working of miracles. I was thinking about, as I was reading this, Brother Scott, I was thinking of, I think it was about 11 years ago, that uh, I, was, I was in bed one night, and my phone rang, and it was Scott Cronenberger. And it was like 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and I've known Scott my, my entire life. He's older than me, so he hasn't known me his entire life. <clears throat> but I've known him my whole life. We're friends, but we don't talk on the phone a lot. But he called me because he had either seen, I don't remember if it was a vision or a dream, but he had either a vision or a dream, and he was telling me about this, that there was some individual he saw something in my life. And this, this individual that was in my life, he said he saw this person turn into a snake and that I was in danger and there wasn't anything that he was able to do to help me. Was I upset that somebody called me at 2.33 in the morning? Not at all. Not in the least bit. I was thankful that he listened, that he was sensitive to the Spirit, to the promptings of the Lord and shared this with me because I took this and I remembered it and I, that put my antennas up. I, had, I, I was on warning. The warning lights were up, and I was keeping an eye out. And it was some time later uh, that I recognized an individual, possibly two, that, that I was in contact with uh, within my life. And luckily, I kept them at arm's length because, indeed, in a spiritual sense, they turned into a snake that would have been, done irreparable damage uh, to me. Amen. And Ananias, in the same way, had to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord, had to be sensitive enough to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Operation in the gifts of the Spirit. Mm. You're still holding on. You're still holding on to the blood of the Lamb, to the outstretched hand of the Lord God. And Ananias came to him, the Bible says, and he spoke unto Paul. In fact, uh, he went on his way, in verse 17, entered into his house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, he, entered, he addressed him as Brother Saul. The Lord, even Jesus, Jehovah, even Jesus, the same as Jesus, he appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest. Well, he sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. He not only uh, received the infilling of the Holy Ghost, he received his physical sight. And much more than that, he received just a tidal wave, just a burst, a rush of sight, of vision in the spiritual sense. All of a sudden, there's all these things from the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, all these types and shadows that he recognized were exactly that, types and shadows of things that were to come, the plan of salvation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and how we apply that to our own lives uh, toward the means of salvation. Somebody said, praise the Lord. I'm going to get to one 
one last area of Scripture, and that's chapter 12 in the book of Acts I want to talk about. Sister Andrea, you better get up here before I start going too much longer here. That's a dangerous thing. <clears throat> and in chapter number 12, likewise, we just saw two individuals, really, that this applied to in chapter 9 and chapter 12, we see a similar thing. And those two individuals uh, are Peter and Herod Agrippa. And this, this chapter number 12 begins in verse number 1 by saying, About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. This was not Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great was his grandfather. This is Herod Agrippa. His father was uh, Aristobulus. Herod, Herod the Great was the one in the time of Jesus said, uh, commanded to, to slay all the children under two years of age, hoping to slay who he'd heard uh, was the Messiah. Well, this is his grandson. Interestingly, as I was studying for this, I discovered that uh, Herod, Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa, and later on in, in, in and later on, in chapter 26 of Acts, there is in Agrippa. That's, that's the son of Herod Agrippa. He's just called Agrippa I. He's the one that Paul was speaking to and said, Boy, almost you persuaded me. But interestingly, all these of this lineage of Herod were descendants of Esau. I never knew that. I was reading, I read some commentaries. None of them mentioned that until I got to a book that I found on eBay, an old book by Jet Witherspoon. Uh, I don't know if that was Brother W.T. Witherspoon's wife or daughter, uh, sister, I'm not sure. Some, some relation to Brother W.T. Witherspoon, one of our great uh, preachers of the past, pastored a church in the state of Ohio years, years and years ago. And she brought this to light, and I thought, wow, is that correct? And then I was able to investigate uh, further with just some, some other sources, Encyclopedia Britannica online and stuff, and indeed that's true. This was a descendant of, Herod, of Esau, an Edomite. And it says in verse number 1 of chapter 12 that Herod the king, this is Herod Agrippa, he stretched forth his hands to vex uh, certain of the church. He was, he was, he was an Edomite, not really, not really a practicing Jew. He was of the Shemitic lineage, though. And he was a political figure. And political figures seek to have power. And to maintain their power, as we see in the present day. And the Bible says he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And in verse 2, it says he killed James. That was the brother of John. And because he saw that this act pleased the Jews, in verse number 3, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread, it says. In other words, these were the seven days immediately following the Passover. Uh, the church was looking forward to the celebration of uh, Easter, uh, the Bible says. So he found great timing for this, but he was waiting just a little bit to please these Jews because he didn't want to slay him uh, during this time of, of Passover and of, and of unleavened bread. And the Bible says in verse 4, when he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. This means four groups of four. There were 16 soldiers total to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people and to kill him. Peter in verse 5 says, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made for him without ceasing of the church of God 
of the church unto God for him. And in verse 6, when Herod would have brought him forth to kill him, the same night was Peter sleeping between two soldiers. Now, when it's talking about four quaternions of, of soldiers, when you investigate that, there's, there were four groups of four, and they were on shifts of four. And so Peter was bound. I don't know if it was by his ankles or his hands. I don't know that, but it would have been the handcuffs of all handcuffs or ankle bracelet of all ankle bracelets. These big iron things that were surrounding his wrists, and he, had, he was chained to one soldier on one side of him, to another soldier on another side of him. Herod was taking no chances when he was in this, in this prison. He was chained to one soldier on one side, one on the other, and then in front of him there was the door, and there were two soldiers guarding the door. There's no way that Peter could escape this. This was an impossible situation. And we all must overcome certain things. We've got some, some general things that every one of us has to overcome. We've got to overcome sin. We all, we all have to overcome death. We've got to overcome uh, the flesh, the devil, and the world. We've got to overcome the enemies of the soul. But there's some more specific things, too, to each one of us. Some people uh, need to overcome their past. Some people need to overcome uh, drugs and alcohol and tobacco. Some people have to overcome uh, hurt and abuse and, and, and other uh, bad events that have happened in their life. Some people need to overcome an impossible situation that's staring them right in the face that's in front of them. And Peter was facing an impossible situation right here. There's no way you're getting out of here. You're bound by one soldier on each side, two soldiers guarding your front. When their shift's over, they'll switch out. And Peter, we see, was reaching out to the extended hand of the Lord. How did Peter give God the glory? What was the word of Peter's testimony? That's not Brother Ronnie, that's me. <laughs> sleeping. Isn't that something? By sleeping, he was extending his hand. He was taking the hand of God. He was giving the word of his testament. He was giving glory to the Lord by sleeping. How is that giving glory uh, to the Lord? Wasn't he tired? It's the middle of the night. Well, it might not be the easiest thing for you to sleep if you know that when you wake up the next morning, you're going to be killed. But he had peace. Brother Harry, in the, in the midst of the storm, as you just said, yeah, it was late at night. Yeah, he may have been physically tired. And yet somehow he wasn't afraid. He wasn't dwelling on this in his mind. He was sleeping. It was Mark Twain who said, nothing concentrates one's attention more than the prospect of being hanged. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. And I think it would concentrate my attention if I was going to have my head cut off. Or, it doesn't say how he was going to kill him, but it said that, that James, the brother of John, was slain with a sword, probably, probably in similar matter. I don't think it would have been very easy to sleep that night. But Peter gave glory to God. How? Because he trusted in God. Thou wilt give him perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. He trusted God in the face of insurmountable odds, in an impossible situation. He had no fear, but his eyes were affixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had confidence, similar to the three Hebrew children about to be thrown into the furnace. Whether God does it 
Whether God doesn't do it, He's got this all under control. I'm just fine. The Bible says in verse number 6, the same night Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers. And in the next verse, the angel of the Lord came and said, Arise up. And what was the result of Peter's hand outstretched to the Lord, giving glory to the Lord and sleeping? The Bible said his chains fell off from his hands. Amen. I've got to give glory to God, and I do it by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. One more example from this, and this is the last thing. In fact, why don't we stand before I keep blowing and going here. One more example, and that's at the end of this chapter, in Herod Agrippa. It just refers to him as Herod again in this scripture. And it says in verse 21 that upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Now, he was not sitting upon his throne in his palace here. Uh, he was actually at a sporting event similar to an Olympic Games type of thing in a, in a, in a coliseum type atmosphere. And there is a very prominent seat, perhaps like the owner's box at some, some big stadium that owns a sports team of XYZ. And he's in this prominent position. And the Bible says that he was in royal apparel sitting upon his throne or in this position. And he made an oration unto him. What does he say? I don't know. What he said, the Bible doesn't tell us what he said. And the people gave a shout. And they said in verse number 22, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, whether they were sincere in what they were saying, we don't know that either. There were a lot of people here that they knew the power that he wielded, and they were very interested in commerce and how people from Tyre and Sidon and how that they could uh, be re-engaged in commerce uh, with his kingdom under, under this king. They gave a shout saying, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And the Bible says in verse 23, immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. And history records that he was smote with a very serious ailment uh, within his bowels and he died within five days of that, of that point in time. And the reason that he smote him had to do with the word of his testimony and the fact that he gave not God the glory. How did he not give God the glory? And it was by not being open to receive God's outstretched hand over time. The Bible doesn't specify here how. How did he not give God the glory? Was it because he puffed himself up when they shouted, it's the voice of a God and not of man? That's a part of it. But it was just earlier in this same chapter that he had James slain. He was going to have Peter killed. And now all of a sudden, because he was puffed up when he, after he made this oration, that's, that's not giving God the glory. That's the reason that he was slain. I think when it says, that's a loaded statement there, because he gave not God the glory. And this had to do with the entirety of his life. Again, he was a descendant of Esau. The Bible says God hated Esau. He, Esau was despised by the Lord because he sold his birthright. He, he gave up the inheritance 
uh, that he had uh, as a child, as a child of God, he willingly took his hand away. And it's a dangerous thing here. It says, because he, that the Lord, the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. Evidently, he got to the place where God had extended his hand long enough. And he said, no more. You're gone. It's over. And the same thing we see happen to his ancestor, Esau. Esau came to a place where he tried to repent and he had tears of repentance. And God would not have it. He wouldn't have any more of it. He said, no. You had your opportunity. You willfully declined the opportunity. And you had many more opportunities. You turned them away. And I guarantee you, when he, when he slew James, and when he had Peter bound in prison, I guarantee you there was at least a little bit of, of, of conversation, a little bit of dialogue between he and Peter. And just like his son, who was known as Agrippa, in Acts, two, in Acts uh, 26 and 28, I just wonder if Peter spoke to him. And he said, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. What would, you, what would Peter have possibly said to him? I'll tell you what Peter said to him. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. Hold your hand out, brother. The promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But evidently, he gave not God the glory. He sat here like this with his arms folded and rejected the pleadings of the Lord to him. Thank you, Brother Heil. We'll set these chairs down now, if you could help. What is the word of your testimony this morning? Are you giving glory to God? It's very important for us to give glory to God. If we don't see anything else from this story with, with, with Herod, we don't know why he gave not God the glory. We don't know exactly what this oration is. But evidently, it's pretty important that we give God the glory. Amen. It's very important for us to give God the glory. How do we do this? You do this. Are there some singers? Come on up here if there are. We do this by the word of our testimony. And the word of your testimony, you see, is dependent upon where you are in your walk with God. And when combined with the powerful and precious blood of the Lamb, this is how we overcome. This is the anatomy of deliverance. And we're overcoming not just the devil, but anything within the will of God for your life that we need to overcome. Amen. Is there anybody in here this morning? Yes, come on. This altar is open right now. This altar is open right now. Is there anybody here that's ever been delivered? from sin, that's ever been, been delivered from drugs or alcohol, that's ever been delivered from a serious uh, situation, would you, would you uh, give the word of your testimony by coming to this altar and worship Him? Give God the glory and worship uh, this morning, if you would. If there's anybody here, amen, you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you've never received uh, the, the infilling of, of the Holy Ghost, having repented of your sins. God's hand is outstretched to you this morning. There's an opportunity here this morning for you. Amen. Will you give God the glory today and come forth to this altar here? Oh, yes. Yes. Come on. That's it. 
Amen. Is there anybody here, I wonder further, that you're in an impossible situation right now? Go ahead and sing. Is there anybody here that's...